Hello, welcome cadets and fighter pilots to the Silver Screen podcast and another very relevant review uh, based on what's currently out in cinemas. Uh, we are going to do a quick roll call here of people who are present on this review. I am Mike, call sign Flash. Oh, hey guys, sorry about that. Uh, I'm uh, DK, call sign uh, Serpent. Sorry about that, you just caught me in the middle of a uh, volleyball game while playing with the boys. <laughs> <laughs> and finally <laughs> my name's will cool sign wings <laughs> will wings <laughs> i like it and uh, yeah flash serpent and wings are who we're going to be referred to as for the duration of this because uh yeah we are the top guns of this review but yeah um buckle in it's going to be hopefully a bit of a fun one we uh, decided to review the original top gun because of course top gun maverick is out in cinemas uh if you haven't, they want to hit the they want to hit the algorithm. Exactly. They did it with the strange one, so they were like, "Screw it, let's do it." We're talking on this one. That was yeah. always my plan. In fairness, I've got that written for the entire kind of uh, yearly plan for the for the podcast. But fingers Which crossed, is hard, basically. <laughs> <laughs> we're whoring ourselves out to the YouTube algorithm. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, yeah. So anyway, as I say, we're joined. Obviously, I'm joined as usual by my co-host DK and regular guest Will Templar, who, as I mentioned previously, is kind of the patron saint of the podcast. At this, I was going to say I've been on like your inadvertently four of your latest episodes somehow, even though I was technically only on one. Let's just you know pray that your internet holds today better than no, last no, time. it's fantastic. To be fair, yesterday my computer, uh, my computer, my computer absolutely conked out. Like not even the oh, Wi-Fi, anyway. like the whole thing just completely stopped working while I was in the middle of a game, and I thought no. But uh, yeah, it's been fine. Other than that, brilliant. That's fair enough. Um, I will say as well that this uh, this is the first time that Will has ever seen, or sorry, that um, that Wings has ever seen Top yeah, Gun, yeah, and he right. just finished watching it for the first time ever, like five minutes before we started the recording. Um, yeah. I watched it today earlier on for the second time ever after watching it for the first time last year. Um, and Serpent over there, I don't know how, how familiar you are with the film. I'm guessing you've seen it more than any of us. He's never uh, seen it. Yeah, I've seen it quite a lot. I was one of the original suckers back in the 80s and then just watched it again recently. Fair enough. Awesome, awesome. Jeez, you guys are old. Tell me about it, man. Shush, respect your elders. <laughs> We're still younger see, than Tom Cruise and he's still doing it. <laughs> see, I, I wanted a podcast with your father. He was a great, a great podcaster. <laughs> It if was classified as age, to why I had to stop podcasting. If with you them. double my age, I still wouldn't be as old as you guys. I hope you know that. <laughs> we are your we are your instructors, all right? We hear you so. oh, <laughs> Without any uh, further shenanigans, then I'm going to move, as as is customary in this new uh, particular way we're doing things, to DK for a behind-the-scenes section on Top Gun and some potentially fascinating things. Take it away, Serpent. Thank you, Flash. Right. The original Top Gun, it was only Tom Cruise's eighth movie. So, oh, sweet summer child. See, we're talking about uh, ages. Coming shortly after the movie's Legend, directed by the uh, the brother of, T of Tony Scott Ridley, and All the Right Moves, in which Tom, like Mike and myself, also suffer from <clears throat> Howard the Duck Syndrome. And for further <laughs> details on that, please refer back to our earlier Silver Screen and Hit or Miss podcasts. And that's all. <laughs> I'm going to say on that subject for the role of maverick john cusack michael j fox sean penn tom hanks patrick swayze and matthew broderick were considered as well as emilio estevez and matthew modine modine turned down the role for its focus on cold war politics before cruz accepted the part now val kilmer didn't actually want to be in this film and was forced just to take the role of Iceman under contractual obligations, which is ironic as it's now one of the roles he's most associated with. Kilmer and Cruz never socialised on set and kept the distance from each other when shooting the movie. Kilmer was a recent graduate of Juilliard and brought his method of uh, acting to bear on the role by playing up the rivalry between himself and Cruz when the cameras were off, which made Cruz and co-star Antony Edwards uncomfortable to such a point that keeps some space between themselves and the actor. The uh, mm. inverted you see on screen between Maverick and Iceman in just acting, it is actually real tension. Apparently, the two went on to become good friends, however, and Kilmer will also be making a return in the upcoming season. Now, Tony Scott was reportedly fired and rehired several times while shooting this movie, with such excuses given for his termination as filming the actors with their helmet visors down and viewing their faces, to, and I quote, making Kelly look beautiful in a whorish kind of way. 
It's all true. Now, all of Maverick's stock flying in the movie was done by pilot Scott Altman, who eventually went on to become a NASA astronaut and mission commander. The movie had a production budget of 50 For every hour that Paramount wanted to film with the F-14s used, it would cost them $10,000. Naturally, with the amount of time needed to shoot a movie, this would have eaten into the budget to an extent that it would have simply been too expensive to produce. However, the Pentagon worked out a deal with the filmmakers, charging Paramount just $1.8 million for access to its fighters and carriers. In essence, the movie was subsidized by the US and the US taxpayer. The investment actually paid off as the movie proved to be so popular that the US Navy set up recruiting booths in movie theaters to capitalize on those caught up. As a result, they had the yeah, highest but... rate of applications in years, approaching 500% of usual applications. The movie turned out to be the best advertisement that taxpayers' subsidies could buy. Yeah, and speaking of commercials, pretty much saved Ray-Ban. After the theatrical release, sales of the sunglasses shot by over 40%. Yep, the popularity of Tom Cruise was a huge boost to sales back then. Finally, while the actual Top Gun Flight School, tro- while, while Top Gun Flight School exists, there is no trophy for best pilot. Yep, movies don't tell us the truth. Who knew? Even worse, every time a member of staff is caught quoting the movie, Find five dollars. So be careful on here tonight. Your ego go right and check your body can't cash you. So is that the end of the information you knew about the, the that is the end. Although with regards to uh, with regards to uh, dangers, I know that Kenny Loggins was not the first one to be approached for that song. I didn't. Not that I can recall anyway. Yeah. So do you know who was approached? No. The, only Toto. Ah, uh, Toto the band, of course, of course. Good band. Well, three yeah. good songs, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> they uh, they turned it down uh, for legal reasons. It doesn't go into what legal reasons they were, but that's why they turned it down. And then they approached Ario, Ario Speedwagon, who also nice. told them to uh, get lost. And they were actually stuck for a singer when when they fell back on uh, on Kenny. Fair enough. I mean, this is this is just a list of the best people you can possibly approach in the eighties, really, isn't it? So it is. <laughs> okay. So yeah, this. Uh, I don't know if it, if you came across this in the uh, the course of your research, but I did. I was quite amazed to find out that um, Kelly McGillis's character Charlie was actually based on a genuine, real woman who did exist, who uh, worked her way up the ranks through various uh, government agencies and stuff, and has only just recently, I think, either retired or close to retirement but you can look her up and she's a real person so yeah mm. oh. crazy facts and she's in the movie like... then so sorry more than she is in the movie then yeah well she's very much um yeah career woman and i'm guessing not overly fond of the portrayal towards parts of this movie but again we'll get into all of that because that feeds into a few different theories but yeah so Anyway, yeah, we'll move on to the bulk of the review now, which, as I say, if you've been listening to the recent sort of three or four reviews you've uh, we've been doing, you know that we tend to do it now by categories rather than uh, chronologically and just breaking down the whole movie. Uh, probably just as well for Will, since he has just seen it. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> uh, just to let me jump in then and give you a little bit of background first about the movie. Uh, on March the 3rd, 1969, the United States Navy established an elite school for the top 1% of its pilots. Its purpose was to teach the lost art of aerial combat and to ensure that the handful of men who graduated were the best fighter pilots in the world, they succeeded. Today, the Navy calls it Fighter Weapons School. The Flyers call it Top Gun. So, you know a film's going to be good when it opens with a little (laughs) introductory paragraph and it's not a Star Wars or something. (laughs) uh, That was directly from uh, from the screen at the start of the movie. So... uh, I, uh, let's see, what else was I going to say? Um, it's just a few random facts that I had about the movie that DK hadn't uh, had a chance to touch upon or probably just didn't think were important, which may be fair. <laughs> uh, there's multiple parodies of this film. Uh, we were discussing it's been parodied everywhere from Star Stories to Keith Lemon and Paddy McGuinness's movie show, uh, but by far the best parody remains well, the movie. Uh... That, uh... Oh, okay. Sorry, I Go found out the yeah. title of that uh, Star Stories. It's called The Church of Scientology Presents Being Tom Cruise. Tagline, right, why, Scient- why Scientology isn't in any way mental. 
Right, yikes, fair enough. But uh, as I was saying, by far and away the best parody of Top Gun still remains the movie Hot Shots, which if you haven't seen it, it's just brilliant. Just go see it and the sequel while you're at it. So, yeah. uh, as I said, I mentioned already Charlie being based on an actual woman. Uh, the other bit of information of note, which I think probably uh, would be relevant to myself and DK given our other podcast is how cool is it that they were operating out of the aircraft carrier USS oh, Enterprise? Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Very fucking go again. <laughs> it's true though. It's genuinely true. It is a real aircraft carrier, CVN 65, and it was the one they were using in this movie. I've got some other things to touch on, but I'm going to start by asking. Uh, the first section I have really is acting. Uh, so I'm going to start by asking Will in an effort to <laughs> contain some of his behavior. <laughs> Son, your My hands attitude. are here. My hands are here, not down there. <laughs> I'm going to ask what you thought about the acting in general in this movie and brace ourselves for your negative Nelly attitude. <laughs> well, first of all, no, uh, I'm happy. Um, right, so Tom Cruise surprised me because I thought he looked the same in every film he does. But I was like, oh, my God, he actually is young in this. Like, he's not... Like, it, it was about... Yeah, it, it was a long time ago. And then when I realised, damn, that's Tom Cruise, I was like... Okay, now I can understand why it's so cheesy and why it's so 80s. And mm. then, because uh, I didn't actually look at the date this film was made, I thought initially, ah. I thought, oh, okay, this was maybe like 15 years ago. And then it's closer to 40. And I thought, oh. Uh, so yeah, Tom Cruise's age surprised me. And then I realized it was him. And I thought, oh, hello, Tom. Uh, he, that man has aged amazingly. Uh, I'm not sure what the woman's name is. Forgive me. Kelly I was just. Kelly McGillis. Yeah, I was, I was researching her about 20 minutes ago. And uh, I did come across an article that said that she's not in the sequel and she thinks it's because she's old and fat. It's because, yeah, if you've seen the way she looks now, she's yeah. not really Hollywood beauty standards without wanting to get offensive. Yeah. Um, which is kind yeah. of shallow of them that they cast Jennifer Connelly instead just because, she's you know, you know what Hollywood's like. Yeah, yeah. But it's a shame she's not coming back. But in this film, I thought she was very good for what she was given. But then again, what she was given was literally the, the lover honestly mm. that's all she really was ever since she come into romantic music playing she... uh music style playing and that was it so you know <laughs> it's not exactly a unique observation that's been made by many people but she is basically the beard in this film she's the yeah. decoy for the fact that uh iceman and maverick are gonna you know play some she's... beach volleyball shall we say <laughs> she's kind of surplus to requirements yeah. and she's treated about i think with as much respect as a blow-up doll in this movie i'm sorry but yeah well there are moments that i think it works relatively well that i that i can get away with but for the most part unfortunately yeah it's kind of <laughs> you can get away with. yeah yeah you know <laughs> so so yeah any other notes about the acting will from your uh, perspective then not the... <laughs> Here's the thing, there's no real standout moments from the acting, I would say. There's no real... I mean, I, I guess the confrontation scenes were nice, like, in terms of filmmaking. And uh, in terms of performances, the end was quite nice with them all coming back together yeah. and, like, uh, unifying it again. But other than that, no scenes really stood out for me. Because I watched the trailer for Top Gun 2, like, in the trailers, every single time I went to the cinema. And I thought, holy crap, a lot of coverage they're showing here is in planes. Like in the trailer, there's more planes than actual character stuff, and I thought, yeah. Oh, please tell me it's not just gonna be planes. And then I watched this film just a minute ago, and I was like, You know what? Okay, no, there was a large split, it was like 50 well, 60 40 character stuff over plane stuff. So I was like, You know, I prefer this, but still, when you're in the planes, there's not really time to act. Well, of course, you act, but there's no real time for any sign of moments, so not really. No, well, those are action scenes, they're not really acting scenes as such, as exactly. Say. Yeah, but yeah, I've I've read your review and it's like it's very Did I write a review? <laughs> you did ages ago. And it goes from one to, thing to another without any depth. That that's what I'm going for. And it's ironic because in your latest episode, your top ten Marvel films, uh you said you agreed with Toby when I like films that are a bit more meat to them. Yeah. And yeah. this film doesn't have said meat, it has anorexia. It's not that kind I don't of film. know. Yeah. 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 It's good, like um, the bones, and that's it. Bones of a it's film. It's not that kind of movie. It's it's very much yeah. It's it's not aiming to fun. be high art or anything like that. It's it's a fun popcorn flick, I guess. But um, so yeah, we did have a brief kind of disagreement before we started recording. Myself and uh, DK slash Serpent. Makes a change. <laughs> uh, over the kind of the, the main two characters, I guess, Maverick and Goose. 
so did you want to just uh, fill the audience <laughs> in on what where, where you stand with regards to that, uh, DK? Yeah, the, for the first half of this film, I just cannot stand Tom Cruise. I just think he's an arrogant <laughs> SOB, and I guess that's kind of the point. But I do prefer Anthony Edwards, Edwards' character. I know you. this is why we're disagreeing, because you think he's very stilted. But uh, I, I like him. I, th I think he actually did did decent. Uh, the, other, the other cast, Val Kilmer, pretty good for, for the part that he's given. Kelly McGillis, as I say, I yeah. think she's kind of... She's just there as a prop more than anything. Uh, Tim Robbins was essentially a cameo in this. Uh, I don't yeah, know if I mean, there's a lot him. of essentially cameos in this yeah. movie, isn't there? You'd I mean, you read this, the cast list and you're like, wait, wait, what are they? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've looked at it. I mean, prior to this, his work, uh, Robbins' work were mostly in TV, and he followed up this film with a starring role in that cult classic. Anyone? Howard the Duck. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and the only other oh, note dear. i've got is yeah the only other note i've got is remember when meg ryan was a thing was a thing <laughs> I have she was like everywhere <laughs> for the for the late 80s and 90s and then she just for vanished. a while i mean going into the early noughts really i mean yeah um, but yeah, I have notes on Meg that I'll get to because I have a few notes on the acting myself. Uh, where the disagreement lies is that I personally think, think Cruz is great. This is nothing, that, I'm talking about character-wise, not like him personally, because he's one of those weird situations where I kind of can't stand the actual man, despite the fact that I can acknowledge he's quite charming at Oh, times. no, don't get me wrong. I, I think he's a decent yeah. actor. I just didn't like the character. He, he's charming at what he needs to be, which is being this stereotypical movie star and shaking everyone's hand and smiling, but... Regardless, character-wise, I tend to like a lot of his characters uh, because he's good at what he does. And I personally thought that I, I I was drawn to liking Maverick a lot more at the start of the movie, where I I found he was cocky but somehow still likable. And I thought you were supposed to kind of root for him. But again, I think that's maybe just my my kind of take on that. I think <laughs> it was a, a theme at the time mm. in Tom Cruise movies that he always started off really charming yet arrogant and then at some point during whichever movie be it this or cocktail of color and money it just get yeah you know i think the, the film goes out of its way though to kind of knock him down a peg or two if you're thinking he's too cocky because he does kind of burn out with uh, with charlie the first time he tries it on with her and everything and so he doesn't kind of get everything falling. Yeah, but in then he does that remarkable, likable trait of following a woman into the bathroom. Which yeah, is that is no. dodgy, is it? <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's very much, you know, oof, this is 1986, isn't it? <laughs> you know? but in, uh, in fairness, though, how big is that women's bathroom? It's got double freaking doors. <laughs> it's not really that? what you picked up from that scene. <laughs> yeah, it's massive. <laughs> Honestly, the, the amount of people that were there, you'd think more people were actually in the bathroom, but it was only them two. I just thought, yeah, is he not going to lock the door somehow? It's just cheesiness, isn't it? But I did kind of yeah. like that uh, that uh, Charlie comes out and still like lets him win the bet with the whole, uh, your friend was amazing, too, which is pretty funny. But uh, I like yeah. a lot of the humour, actually, in, in the film. I, I personally do. Oh, yeah. So. yeah. Um, and I do think there's some good chemistry between pretty much everyone in, in their different ways. Um but yeah, I will say Anthony Edwards was really good, but for me, just started off a little bit too stilted and kind of uh, exposition machine, I guess, <laughs> when he was like, a lot of the dialogue basically amounted to, you're my best friend, Maverick. I've got a family, Maverick. I've taken you in, yeah. Maverick. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, all right. But when he got the chance to develop as a character, he did kind of settle into it, and it's kind of, that's what led up to, you know, him departing from the movie, shall we say, as we try to remain spoiler-free for now. <laughs> but yeah. Um, the only other note that I've got is that Meg Ryan is a really weird mixed bag in this movie because she's virtually a cameo anyway because she wasn't really that well known yet. It's before the kind of Tom Hanks uh, rom-com era. Um, and I think she started off terrible. Like when she's flirting with Goose and she first appears, I was like, this is an awful performance from a, an actress who's really well revered. But then she did literally just break my heart after <laughs> after Goose had, you know, spoilers, after Goose had died and she kind of had to come to terms with that and uh, she was acting alongside Cruz with the grief of it. And I was like... Ah, all right, fair enough. I that's think that's one of the best of scenes the in the movie. Yeah, yeah, probably. I mean, there's a couple of moments like that that I would uh, that I would cite that I'm sure we'll get to. But yeah, definitely. Um, the next thing I'm going to touch on, I'm going to start just going in general because I have a more specific area to touch on within this. But it's it's the writing basically. Um, and I was just curious if you guys had any thoughts before I jump in 
about it. What did you think about some of the writing of the movie and the various bits and pieces? Uh, and just for difference's sake, we'll start with you, DK. I just think it's very much of its time. As we've touched yeah. upon with the bathroom thing, there, there are some things that you just you couldn't get away with now. And uh, looking back on it, it, it surprised me just how badly it's aged in some respects. Right, right. And did you feel the same way, Will? No, not with the writing. I would okay. say with his attitudes, perhaps, yes. But uh, how it's written, I couldn't really... Again, it's not my kind of film in the sense that... Well, it's my kind of film. I would love... To, I will re-watch this like, tomorrow or something because I, I want to actually focus on it because it's a very enjoyable film. But as the writing goes, yes, some of it stayed, some of it... But I think more so is the direction because you've got to remember the director is working with the script and the director takes a lot of creative liberty in that kind of respect. And I yeah. think my problem slide with this film is more so the cinematography and that there goes hand some... in hand with the direction. So um, the range is not so much a problem for me. Okay. What were you saying, DK? Sorry. I was going to say that there do seem to be quite a, quite a, a few problems with the direction and cinematography. Oh. You and I are going to disagree when I get to that section again. I can just tell because I had quite a lot of praise for that. No, it's it's Um, a very beautiful film. But some of the problems that we've already spoke about in terms of like the problematic scenes, most of that would be down to how it's directed, I'd say. Yeah, fair enough. See, I I personally think the writing is very... Let's try and think of the nicest way to put this. It's very by the numbers. Uh, As I was trying to make notes, I was like, if if I was like a screenwriter, I'm like, wow, this is... It's not subtle in the way that it's like we established that Maverick is a Maverick straight early on with the whole flipping the bird and photographing and buzzing the tower and everything. Some of the the dialogue, it's really quotable, but not necessarily because it's brilliantly written dialogue. So Mm. as you've mentioned, like your ego's right in checks, your body can't. Or, you know. That's another uh, five in the jar. (laughs) Or your maneuver was a bit too aggressive, Maverick. Well, I guess when I see something, I go right at it. Mm. (laughs) Come on, man. Let me see if I've, I've written a few of these down. It's so weird. You can be my wingman anytime. Bullshit. You can be my blah, blah. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of kind of, uh, yeah, it's not exactly high art and it does the job, but it's very, like I said, for me, I think my greatest issues perhaps lie with the writing because even to the point that it's clearly like a really soapy melodrama, like it's fun, but even at the start, like Cougar panics and it zooms in on the whole, I've got a family to think about kind of thing. Mm. And I'm like, Oh, and then immediately when he's, you know, quit and, and left, it immediately switches to Goose has a family and, oh, now uh, Maverick all of a sudden has a dad with a kind of secret that he needs yeah. to know about. And it, uh, It's like similar notes yeah. to the trailer of the second film. It's like the only character stuff we see in that trailer is, oh, my dad trusted you. I won't make the same mistake. And that's it. And I was like, well, hopefully they develop that more. And they, yeah. like, that is the most surface level line I have ever seen in my life so please give yeah something. i mean that's a trailer line though isn't it so hopefully that is the case yeah, but, um, well, yeah. Say, well, it might not even be in the final movie that's yeah, true. exactly yeah <laughs> so um what was i gonna say yeah and then it was it was painfully apparent what was going to happen at least for me as somebody who consumes a lot of media as soon as it got to the point where uh, maverick was like you know what i've got nobody else and so goose is the only family i've ever got i've making my mission to protect him i was like well he did as soon as you have a heartfelt scene about how your family this guy is dead and uh yeah the other criticism i've got of the writing is that all we see is maverick getting in shit like he gets told off charlie despite apparently falling for him has to not say that and say it's a pass but it's what not to do and everything so we see like him getting chewed out like four or five times in a row then out of nowhere the scene shifts and it's like maverick is in a very close second place for the trophy i'm like how he's been getting crap the entire time we could have done with maybe seeing some stuff where he was getting good points you know what i mean to to justify that but um yeah regardless of that it's kind of i do like that the film like i I mentioned to you beforehand it's kind of a rocky film for action fighter pilot enthusiasts so it knows exactly what it wants to be and when it boils down to like him going after the instructors because one there's the rivalry and the competition and oh you're too cocky i'm gonna beat you and it knows that that's how it gets the audience and you feel the adrenaline and you're rooting, I think, at first for Maverick very much there uh, to, <laughs> to, uh, to prove his worth. So well done to, to that level of writing. But again, yeah, the, the death was very cliche. Uh, and yeah, again, stuff like the first manoeuvre, hitting the brakes and going right past, coming back to save the day is very base level writing. 
And again, it's not subtle, is it? The whole former enemy no. has now gained your respect. <laughs> In all fairness, though, this was the 80s. Yeah, oh, very. I mean, this is kind of... We say it's very cliche, but this may be responsible for kind of setting up a lot of these tropes in a lot of ways. So, um, yeah, what was I going to say then? To be oh, fair, um, respect, it wasn't like it was. It, you could tell it was made in eighties. It was very eighties attitudes, how it was made and whatever. But in credit to it, again, I think Mike will agree with this. The direction on the whole was quite superb. I thought so. Yeah, yeah. And it, it was very different from what the eighties films that I have actually seen because I don't watch much eighties films. But it's very but different well, to what we, I've have seen. I, I, I can't speak for DK, but I'm a child of the eighties, so I've seen a lot of eighties movies. It was just yeah. weird that Top Gun was a blind spot of mine until last year. But yeah, I don't know. There were some scenes in this that I thought were quite amateurish towards the really? start. Well, yeah, and I was surprised at it. Just uh, not the aerial flying scenes because I mean they were really good, but just yeah. basic character interaction and the editing right. seemed very choppy. And Scott were a great director. I mean he came onto this from The Hunger, but to me it just looking through a modern eyes it just seems quite strange. I have to disagree because I was actually looking at the editing and I thought it was like cut together really well. It was like I was actively thinking, oh after this film I'm going to find out how it was edited because I'm going to praise it. So we're completely different. I. I really enjoyed how it was put together uh, and i know it's with the, the, like the music, I mean, the music like, feeds into that the, with me yeah i agree because the music like never stopped there was no moments where it was like quiet for example there was always a continuous soundtrack and that kind of thing a bit my but the, worst, the music's playing and it cuts to another scene and the music just stops dead it's like mm. they were just I don't know. It just it just felt very strange was, to me. It, it was, was very jarring. Mm. Yeah, I, I think that's. Sorry, but I do kind of agree. That 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 is an editing thing, but I think it's it's specifically the way the music is edited and the way the score is done. Because um, I'll get to it later. It's the score is by um, Harold Faltermeyer, who is kind of he was renowned for kind of eighties music and synth kind of scores. Uh, and you may well know him as the guy who unfortunately inflicted Axel F upon the world. Uh, many years before the crazy frog got his hands on it and made it 10 oh. times worse. <laughs> but, yeah. So uh, I do feel like a lot of that is kind of him sampling the pop songs of the soundtrack instead of making, it sounds really cruel, but making like a unique kind of score for it. He was like, oh, well, we'll just use, we'll use a little brief uh, bit of Take Your Breath Away here and we'll chuck a bit of Danger Zone in there and instead of actually sitting and making unique music. But um yeah, I see what you mean in terms of that That does jar when you're watching the scenes like that. And I'm very much in between the two of you in terms of like the direction and and in, does it seem dated? Because, again, it's probably responsible for making this cliche, but it's hard not to watch it with modern eyes and think. It starts with a lot of kind of montages and, you know. Oh, my uh, God. I love the color grade. The color grade was fantastic. Yeah, it's yeah, no wonder it's, a deal had to be cut with the Pentagon because a good third of the yeah. movie's budget <laughs> must have been spent on filters. Yeah. yeah, it was gorgeous. It, the, the lots on it were gorgeous. I think it's it looks amazing, but it's the way that it's just blatant. Like yeah. before you meet a character or anything, there's basically a hero sequence for the jets, and it becomes like <laughs> mi military <laughs> jet porn as danger zone plays. And it's yeah, like, those opening yeah. credits are enough to give Michael Bay a priapism. That's true. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. How uh, towards oh, when we were introduced to the characters, kind of, um, when they were transitioning between room to room, we had a, like a cutaway to the exterior shots again, yeah. and the like the orange skyline. I just thought that was beautiful. And then you had the J and L cuts, and then you went back into the scene into the next room. I, I thought that was fantastic. Even I have that's mentioned that, in my opinion. Um, I've mentioned that later, so I will get into it a bit more with the direction because I agree with you. There's a lot of great lightning and cinematography that's i think on display here but yeah i think like like i said it's quite clearly it's quite clearly military uh, propaganda i think in a in a little few places here especially at the start yeah um, in 2015 as, as uh, yeah library of congress selected it for preservation in the film registry so a lot of films have had that yeah for as culturally or aesthetically significant which i mean yeah. like i said that that's been given to uh, innumerable films at this point some of them you would be shocked to learn um, but the, the thing that's most telling in terms of, I forgot to mention this, but looking it up kind of a, a, as a fact and figure, not by on purpose, because I know that's your section, DK, but as I was kind of doing some no, research no, on the film, I found out that um, the Navy asked if they could put a Navy recruitment video 
uh, as one of the adverts slash trailers at the start of the VHS, because this film's responsible in, in large part for videos becoming a commodity that was owned by people rather than like a you know $100 at a time, you can only rent it at a video store thing. Um, yeah. So yeah, the, the Navy asked if they could put a recruitment ad on and they were basically advised it would be a waste of money because the film is enough of a recruitment advert on its own. So why bother? <laughs> it's completely redundant. That's fair <laughs> enough. Yeah, fair enough. You know what I mean? So it's like you said, though, the way they were setting up recruitment booths and everyone was coming out with a cinema and they were snagging them them from their adrenaline rush. of like, yeah, I'm going to join the Navy. Yeah, yeah, whatever. So, yeah, there's a lot of that that's very kind of hard to to look past without gritting your teeth and being, all right, it's the 80s and it's the height of the Cold War and the, the, the I guess, jingoistic America kind of thing. So, yeah. Anyway. Um, one thing I did want to get into, which feeds into the writing, um, is that I'm sure you've probably, if you've, if you've looked at this film at all, you may well know about the significance of it in terms of something called queer theory. Um, ex forgive the use of the language, that is literally the, the name of the theory. I'm not using it as a slur or anything, um, but it's the name that was coined for it. Um, and I do remember that this is something that came up when I was at university because I do, oh, well, unless, if, if you don't know this, I do have a film studies degree. It's actually English and yeah. film joined. Um, and for one of the modules, we had to study queer theory cinema. Um, and the two biggest examples that it gives are Top Gun and Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Uh, I won't get into Nightmare on Elm Street 2 today, maybe another time. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's not, <laughs> it's not so. Um, but yeah, in terms of Top Gun, it's fascinating that nobody who made the film set out to make something that would feed into these sort of homoerotic readings. And yet they are absolutely undeniable when you watch the film back um, to the point that like... There's a, I forget the movie, but Tarantino uh, st stars in a movie where he has a monologue about how, you know, it's it's the, the gayest movie and it's all really about Iceman and uh, and Maverick. And like I said, that, that's been going around for a while. But uh, yeah, other people, like I said, have not, I think Pauline Kael was one of the um, actual theorists that said it's from a bygone time where you can play things dead straight and yet it comes out and it's it's impossible, you know, not to note the homoerotic subtext. And in the absence of actual like LGBTQ films, it's obviously understandable why it was adopted by that sort of subset of the culture yeah. to to kind of yeah to represent them. Um, yeah, if you go to Lairbox, if you go to the most popular reviews, all it is looks like more observation of this film is not gay enough, not gay enough, not gay enough. <laughs> and I just put it fair enough. <laughs> yeah, but so in terms of like trying to look into this theory as best I could, unfortunately I did lose all my essays or I don't have them from my university days, otherwise I could have probably got into a lot more um, and I, I just can't quite remember all of it, but as I say, do if you are interested in that, just do an uh, internet search because I'm sure those uh, articles and things are out there, they're in film theory textbooks and everything, but so I, I, I took a list of archives. <laughs> from four yeah. years ago <laughs> <laughs> i took a little list of kind of things that i thought might feed into this theory to see if there was anything actually to it even though we've well established over the years that there is so um the very first thing i noted is in the line when they're all getting instructed for the first time and they're talking about what the planes can do and uh, the actual aerial combat capabilities uh one of the guys turns to the other guy and just says i'm getting a hard on to which his friend replies don't tease me <clears throat> actual dialogue from the movie <laughs> Uh, there's a time when one of the guys is, act, is asked who, who he's pissed off. I think it's Goose gets asked that, and Goose says, the list is long but distinguished, to which his aggressor says, so is my Johnson. <laughs> yeah. uh, obviously, there's the line at the end, you can be my wingman anytime. Pretty uh, iffy. And, uh, yeah, there's other things like um, the volleyball scene. I mean, that's obviously male gaze, hard bodies, and... Yeah, it's the fact that the song that's playing on the soundtrack at that time is literally called Playing With The Boys. Yeah. <laughs> so, Not to mention, like I said, the Iceman relationship is very much, you know, a person in the playground that protests too much because they have a big crush on you and in the end they come round. So um, the other thing I noticed is that people have said that obviously the relationship with Charlie uh, serves as kind of a decoy to kind of try to offset some of this tension. But even in that case, Charlie is a very ambiguously gendered name, uh, which some people see as potentially deliberate. Uh, and a scene that I have discussed with DK, which is that um, after they kind of first have their, their date together, there's a scene in an elevator where uh, he encounters Charlie and she's wearing like a, a very <laughs> male-fitting bomber jacket and a cap with her hair all up. Uh, and people have read this as like, well, she looks very male and he's all of a sudden a lot more interested. Um, it's fascinating to me that things that are not intended that way can feed into these theories because... Upon researching it, I found out that the reason for that was 
test audiences wanted an extra kind of love scene between them because they didn't quite believe their relationship. And that particular scene was filmed months after the end of shooting, at which point Kelly McGillis was filming a different movie and her hair was a different color and length. So that's why she had to have her hair up and inside the cap and everything. Um, so it was for practical reasons, but it's just been read very much into this queer theory reading of the movie, which is fascinating. So again, that's my little mini deep dive. If everyone doesn't mind indulging me with that, as I say, it is fascinating. If you get a chance to look it up, please do. And uh, if anybody wants to leave me any other examples, there's more than a few. And uh, actually, Will, you texted me one and I was like, wow, I missed that one. And uh, you texted me a bit of dialogue. What was it? Something like, um, you're living you your, your life, life between your legs between your legs <laughs> which is like uh okay i mean it could be it could be straight or gay but it's certainly some pretty dodgy uh yeah <laughs> subtext there but uh yeah and again yes we know there's a straight sex scene but we're, we're gonna get to that i'm sure it's it's not the best <laughs> is it no. uh so the next uh, section that i have then is just the direction uh, which, as I said, uh, I think personally Tony Scott is a pro. Uh, if you haven't uh, checked out his work, he's done a lot of great things, not just action-type movies. I believe he directed True Romance. I could be wrong. Um, he did. Thanks. I thought you would tell me. <laughs> uh, he is the brother of Ridley Scott. He did, unfortunately, pass away. Um, I'm not sure when, but I don't think it was recent. It was a fair while ago, um, excuse me, which is probably why he's not directing the sequel, if you're curious. Uh, but I think he does a really good job here under kind of difficult circumstances because... As we mentioned, the kind of cockpit shots where you have to see your actor get your dialogue across, but you're limited as just being in this dead space, I think is really well done. Uh, and this is yeah. kind of the film that pioneered the idea of being able to do that. Um, I do, on a slightly weirder note, I did note it's an odd decision that there's so dang much sweat in this movie. Like every scene, everyone is just dripping with sweat and glistening. And I was like... Huh, very Kelly uh, pointed that out at one point. She says, Why is everyone looking so greasy all the time? Definitely. That's Kelly, your missus, by the way, not Kelly McGillis. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I was like, Wow, everybody, everybody in every scene is sweating and not just like, Oh, it's a tense moment. So they're sweating. They, they might crash the plane or whatever. But like scenes of them in the offices discussing like who to give the trophies to and stuff. The two guys sitting across the desk are just glowing with sweat. And it's like, All right. Cool choice, I guess. <laughs> this is the masculinity of it all, whatever. We're not sure which you can only assume that the air conditioning's into. broke. <laughs> yeah, the Top Gun school's great, but they have really terrible aircon. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, in terms of the flying shots, I, I can't fault them. I think the flying aerial dogfight shots are thrilling. They're just stunning for me. And Beautiful. That's, that's kind of... Yeah. That, that's that's yeah. what you go into this film for, so I kind of don't understand... If they go that way, then, yeah. <laughs> I don't understand it's your so thing about good. like I hope it's dialogue and stuff. So. No, no, <laughs> so China no. attempted to pass off this footage on their state TV as an <laughs> Air Force training exercise. They showed yeah. just they just cut the aerial scenes from the movie, banged them on state TV, and then claimed it was their own Air Force. Oh dear oh, God! I love that story because they were immediately found out, pulled all of them things down, and just will not address the incident. No. <laughs> Which I love. That's like ultimate propaganda gone wrong. Uh, yeah, but, um, right. you, you, we, we were talking about the acting earlier, and I said yeah. because of the film it takes place so much in the air that it's hard to mention the acting yeah, because yeah. they are action scenes. I'm not criticizing the action. The action is fantastic. I'm agreeing with you. I, I, yeah, but I'm saying like, I'm, I personally don't really care as much about the kind of interpersonal type scenes. I'd be happy if it was well, not so much happy because you want a little bit of depth, but I'd be all right with just like even more kind of aerial dogfight action and uh, I'd agree, less yeah. of the soap opera type stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. But yeah, that's fair enough. The thing I did note again in my research about these uh, aerial shots is that, as DK mentioned, they only had like certain hours and uh, things that they were allowed to use the actual uh, military equipment for. So a lot of the shots that you see in the film are model shots and things, but they are regarded as so good that there was actually an investigation by the military to check if they'd actually broken the rules of their, their kind of uh, agreement and they'd been filming longer than they should have or with other things that they shouldn't have been, which again, I think speaks to how good these action sequences are. Um, it's not all of the shots, but it's just interesting that you probably can't really tell. Certainly I can't. No. Um, so yeah. <laughs> On the other hand, it was shocking to me that you see, uh, again, perhaps it's just because the film is so kind of, homoerotic masculine that as soon as you go to the bar it suddenly turns into a very michael bay kind of look at the sexy chicks kind of thing for just a couple of minutes there and i was like ah that's weird it's an odd choice but uh yeah fair enough um last three scenes to talk about then first of all 
uh, to feed into what Will was saying, and uh, like I was going to say, the way that uh, Tony Scott captures like what they call magic hour and all the various scenes at dusk to give it that kind of sunlit glow um, is just gorgeous. And it's uh, not just the action scenes and stuff. I think my favourite looking scene is uh, when Maverick is making his way to Charlie's house at dusk, and it's just the way that the orange glow on the kind of LA streets hits. Mm. To me, it's just oh, gorgeous. <laughs> it's just amazing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, and uh, so the next thing, obviously, I've got to talk about the really painful sex scene. Which, yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. Oh, I took a video. I took a video. I took a video when it was on and sent it to Michael. I rewound it and I just filmed my live reaction because. <laughs> and I, I was really so like. I got that from you and I was like, wow, I'm pleased you said that because I've made the exact same note, which is just like, this is the worst scene in the movie. It goes from like Mexican no, telenovela. It's, it's, fantastic. Oh, it's fantastic. Maybe if you want to look at it, it's hilarious. Tongue. Why? Why the tongue? <laughs> exactly. It's, it's so such a weird tongue. choice. I don't want to see it. It's a weird choice. It's lit weird. It's overdramatically played. It's just jarring. And yeah, I can't really say anything other than worst scene in the movie. Unfortunately, worst scene in the movie. I think we probably much all agree on that one. So, Unironically yeah. brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> Will's just on board with it. No, no, they're, they're, they're making love and it's bright orange. It's beautiful. And then you have a He hard was so cut. disgusted. He just so, loved off. It went from orange to blue. And then, yeah, they, and then they start the full play again. And I think you've just like kissed it, but now you'll suddenly inside again but now you'll stand from the off from the top lit, quite literally so and working your way down and what's going on <laughs> and the music doesn't okay. help because it's so dramatic like oh yeah take my breath away is an odd yeah. choice of uh, very dramatic music but yeah the oh. choice of all that the weird kind of blue lighting the pseudo slow-mo and then most importantly like dk says why so damn much tongue we did not need to see that much tongue damn it <laughs> <laughs> as you can currently see on Will's screen, as I'll probably edit in. So, yeah, not the best scene in the movie, easily the worst. And uh, the last sort of thing I wanted to say on the direction is just that I really love the way the last scene is done because uh, it's the actual kind of dogfight. And uh, I found myself genuinely, as somebody who's generally against like killing in war and stuff, I found myself like, yeah, destroy those enemies. <laughs> <buddy." laughs> like, wow, I'm kind of sucked into this, I guess, a little bit. Yeah. So, uh, the propaganda's yeah. worked. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, did you guys have any other thoughts on any of those scenes, or just in general about the direction or cinematography and stuff of the movie? I, I do you criticize the direction of the actual sex scene itself because I thought, whilst the cut was jarring and absolutely hilarious, I thought how it was directed was like flawless. Like the actual scene, it's hard to fault, but it was just jarring. <laughs> it's not terrible. Well, it's terrible in the context of the film, but. It's Zack Snyder in Watchmen levels of a terrible sex scene. Dude. Fair enough. <laughs> Holy shit. Maybe, well, if you like it, you like it. That's fair enough. But, um, oh, I'm I not know. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Any other thoughts then? Or did you agree with me about the kind of lighting situation? And, uh, you know, I agree. Yeah. I'm pleased to pick up on that because, yeah, that was something I picked up the first time I watched the movie. I was like, wow, it's amazing. That... And that must have been a nightmare to catch that kind of magic hour dusk shot because. You can't fake it, and you've got like a very small window of opportunity to film it. So, kudos, mm. excellent direction, you know. So, yeah, um, and again, flying scenes great, acting scenes serviceable, I guess. <laughs> but the <laughs> cockpit scenes are great too. And uh, yeah, any thoughts, TK, on direction before I move on? No, pretty much. I pretty much. As I say, at the start, the character scenes they didn't work for me. It was only later on that I became invested in the movie. But those those last few yeah. scenes with the 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 dog fights the cockpit scenes really good the second half to me saved the movie and yeah. the least said about the sex scene the better yeah i'll talk about some of the later scenes mm. when i get to the section that i've called scenes because it kind of feeds into direct direction i guess but i've listed it under scenes because towards the end i was like i'm actually quite absolute some some good drama and some yeah absolute scenes so <laughs> yeah um, the next thing I was going to talk about was the music, but I've kind of addressed it already. Uh, so the only other note I have is that it, it still shocked me, even though, yes, I've only seen this once before, but I was still surprised that the movie literally opens with Danger Zone, like straight into it. There's no like little bit of, it's like, you know, bit of text describing things, Danger Zone. So, but uh, yeah, it's interesting that this film, I mean, what a flipping soundtrack it's got. 
uh, which I think is from a bygone age of movies, especially from the 80s where the soundtracks were all bangers that were just great. <laughs> so, Going like back to what you said earlier with regards to Rocky, I think the two main soundtracks of that decade mm. was this and Rocky Four. Well, Rocky, any, any of the Rockies, but four and three specifically, yeah, because you got to remember Rocky three was Eye of the Tiger, and that was freaking stratospheric at the time. So, yeah, definitely. Uh, but yeah, four, definitely Survivor, Burning Heart, and oh, uh, what is it? Toto Hold the Line, speaking of Toto, was on there, I think. And uh, yeah. all kinds. Jim I mean, every Brown living every in kid in the classroom back then had, had this cassette. And as I said to you earlier, <laughs> I was one of those uh, wow. sad little teens to this soundtrack. <laughs> If, uh, if you're around Will's age and you're listening, a cassette tape is what we used to have before. <laughs> before there were downloads, there were these things called CDs. They were kind of like a DVD or Blu-ray. And before that, there were these things called cassette tapes. They were a weird sort of square okay, block. Okay, Grandpa, let's get you back to bed. <laughs> yeah, man, go. go. <laughs> yeah, again, very easy. But, uh, okay, fair enough. Uh, so, yeah, my last section before the kind of uh, explanation, conclusions, etc., was just about the various scenes, which, as I've said, yeah, it, it's unashamed military playing porn and the montages and stuff are a little cheesy at first, which I think kind of um, feeds into what you were saying, that you, the film does suck you in, but it takes a while to get past things like that. Um, also related to the kind of uh, some of the theories that I put forward and the direction, it's kind of weird and, again, jarring by a modern perspective that a lot of the early scenes are just Maverick and Iceman straight on just eyeing each other up. <laughs> it's kind yeah. of like... Yes, I get it. They're competitive with each other, and that's what you were going for. But it's so over the top, and it's just once or twice too many for me. So, yeah. But as I mentioned, the scene where he's taken on uh, Michael Ironside's jester, I found that you were rooting for kind of Maverick and Goose in that scene. Weirdly, uh, I thought that was the point. But um, again, yeah. it kind of establishes yeah. that even then he's too cocky. He has to go for the flyby, and uh, this mm. is the first of your again things that don't quite work. Cheesy cartoon level. Oh, you made me spill my coffee, man! <laughs> kind of scenes, which I was like, "Oh, yeah. yeah, we don't need, we don't need that as a recurring thing because it's." Uh, but it's it very, does uh, bring up cartoon. another one of those uh, those lines for the uh, the queer theory thing, where the guy after he's <clears throat> just chewing chewing him out in the office, and he comes <laughs> out, and the guy with the tray spills a coffee on him, and he says, "God damn, I want to get some butts." <laughs> yes. Of course, yes, yes, yes. That's right, absolutely. I can't disagree with that one. But yeah, I just think it's very cartoonish, uh, the way it goes with that. But um, the next sort of scene that I mentioned was the romance scene uh, between when he first kind of goes for dinner and she won't let him shower and whatever else, which I've said is very well played. And I think Kelly McGillis sells some really difficult stuff, as you've mentioned, not, not very well written stuff, quite well. She elevated a little bit, but as I was watching that scene, I was like, yes, this is all very good, but if I hear the word MIG one more time, I swear I'm going to scream. <laughs> it's just so annoying. It's a, let's just talk about the MIG. Forget about the MIG. But you never took on a MIG. What about, what about the MIG? There's, there's, don't talk about the MIG. Ah! Shut up about the friggin' MIG. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. I also found, again, related to what you were saying, I found Maverick less relatable when he takes a hoof. When he gets tooled off in the class and she's like... Uh, this is an example of what not to do, even though it's a pass. And then she gives it. She, that scene leads into the very cheesy sort of, I can't let anyone know that I've fallen for you. Yeah. <laughs> Tears of our lives. <laughs> but yeah, but you watch that scene and you think, why? Why have you fallen? That's what I mean, yeah. Exactly. Because he, yeah, like I said, it's like, oof, taking a hoof like that is very, yeah, what are you doing? Especially when you're trying to be more likable and we're meant to believe she's, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> effective in some ways if you can forgive uh, the cheesiness, I think, but only in the sense that like you've got to, you've got to know you're watching soap opera level at that point. Yeah. Um, yeah. Things that I did love towards the end that you were saying, I think it got quite serious, and I really liked the scene when uh, Maverick is dealing with the loss of Goose, and he goes to Tom Skerritt's house. I forget the character's name, Viper, I think. Um, Viper, yeah. And he's kind of. Yeah, and he's basically discussing with him, you know, how to deal with these things, and he, he's got a choice of, like, graduating or quitting, uh, and it leads to my favourite line, which I won't say, because I'll save that for the favourite line section at the very end, um, but there's just a really cool moment between them uh, after they get deployed, which obviously they get deployed to actual combat, and again, yeah, cheesy, but it's still kind of, it took me in at this point, so it really worked that he was, like, talk to Medusa as he clutches the dog tags, and that's when he gets his, his mojo back, and yeah, cliche repeating the whole jet wash situation, but and the fact that he's learned not to leave his wingman and 
you know, um, yes, it just ends with him literally letting Goose go as he throws the dog tags away. And then naturally we have that kind of callback that he has to be seen getting the girl as well, even though it doesn't make a whole job of sense. So, <laughs> Because uh, she was going off to a job in Washington or something, but there you go. <laughs> Never mind. Why, why apply logic? Um, so, yeah, that was the end of all of my notes, apart from the, like I said, favorites wow. and conclusion and stuff that we'll get to. But uh, so, did you guys have anything you wanted to talk about before we hit that section? Honestly, no, because again, we, we've kind of touched upon it. It's not really a meaty film no. like you said it's very one to the next to the next and there's not really much to talk about yeah fair uh, if that's everything then we'll jump into the next section which is obviously as you know if you've been keeping up by now we give a little bit of extra interest by talking about our favorite character moment and line uh, so i'm going to go around everyone uh, in kind of clockwise order uh, and ask for your favorite character in the movie and we'll start with you serpent then we'll hit you up uh, wings and then myself flash to finish so, okay, favourite character. Okay, I'm going to go with... Well, you know this already. I'm going to go with Goose. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, he does... There is even a line that everybody liked him in the film, and it's understandable, so... And, uh, yeah. Having said I, that, I'm guessing it's, uh, that's a very it's just pivotal scene with Wolfman. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, true, true, true. Um, when he he's, he's, he's ignored for most of the movie, and then he gets on the phone to... Uh, you know, everybody to tell him that Mavericks quit, and up until yeah. that point, he's hardly even there. It's a very yeah uh, weird. I, I when I was watching that again this time, I was like, "Who is that? What's this scene about?" And it is just literally him ringing yeah Viper uh, or whatever to say, "Oh, this is Wolfman and uh, Mavericks quit." And I was like, "All right, okay, fair enough." <laughs> but there's a lot of characters like that. Like even the two replacement kind of um, what do you call them, Rias that he gets to fly with are like non-characters. <laughs> Sundown and Merlin are just there. To fill yeah, in because there's yeah. no goose anymore at that point. And I was like, oh, all right, <laughs> weird. Um, yeah, so anyway, your character, because you're a massive fan of ER and the 2004 <clears throat> live action Thunderbirds, you're going to go with Anthony Edwards. Is that right? Hey, Thunderbirds is a classic movie. It's Frank's, for goodness sake. <laughs> Anthony Edwards' brains, just saying. But no, anyway, you're going to go with Goose in that case, then. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, Will, who was your favorite character in the movie if you're still with us? That's a no. <laughs> I guess then. Iceman. <laughs> and why why was your favorite character Iceman then? It was nice to see the conflict. It was nice to actually have something to kind of latch onto in a film. And I think he was a perfect, I wouldn't say anti he kind of did play that role a bit of the antagonist, but um yeah, it was, it, it was nice to see the dynamic, and you could really tell. I didn't know about the fact, because, of course, I only watched the film, so I haven't actually researched it yet, but I didn't know that uh, him and Cruz had, like, tension off-screen, like, method acting. Yeah, now. Next see. level. Oh, of course, but it's, like, method acting, kind of. And, um, yeah, that's probably why, just because it was nice to see that dynamic a lot. Yeah, it is kind and of I can't can say Tom Cruise because I didn't even know it was Tom Cruise until about 10 minutes into the film. I was like, oh, God, he's young. Really? All right. Oh, honestly, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, that's um, going to be Tom Cruise. Well, it is Tom Cruise, not meant to be Tom Cruise. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, just, just as a counterpoint to that, then, weirdly enough, my favourite character, I've said, was quite obvious, but it's true that it is Maverick, but apparently it's not that obvious, but yeah, I, that's who you're following throughout, and that's whose story I'm kind of invested in, so for me, that was who I was feeling uh, the, the interest Ooh. in throughout the movie, I guess. Talk about subtext. <laughs> just, no, just literally that was obviously <laughs> the lead character and, you know, you've got to be invested in him, I suppose, because uh, everyone else is either dead or barely a character. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, moving on then to favourite moment. Uh, and again, we'll start with you, DK. What's your favourite moment of the movie? Uh, as in scene. Well, yeah, moment or scene, anything uh, like that. Uh, I wouldn't say it's favourite because it's just so depressing, but I love the scene between uh, Tom and Meg Ryan once uh, Goose dies. Mm, I think yeah. that's an incredibly yeah, well-played scene. scene. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of, it's an interesting choice that, like, um, Cruz as Maverick is so kind of choked up and hurt that he just doesn't even talk in the scene. It's like, wow, it's it's powerful, it's emotional. And I was kind of moved by him when uh, it kind of the accident first happens and he's kind of cradling Goose and you get the one guy like, you've got to let him go, sir. I was like, oh. Yeah. 
that's that's a surprisingly emotional moment in this cheesy movie. It's a good actor mm. when when they can convince you and they're not uttering a line. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly right. But uh, yeah, good scene, and I can see why you said that was the best scene. Understandable. So, what about you, Will? Probably when um, Charlotte and Maverick are on the balcony. Well, not the balcony. The the porch on the back. And they're, you know, they're having the food, they're having the drinks and whatever. Yeah. And I think it's pitched perfectly in terms of like the ro- the romance, but also the kind of awkwardness or like the tension between the two. I, I thought that was like played really brilliantly and they had fantastic chemistry, particularly in that moment. So that would probably be my favourite scene. Oh, fair enough, I understand that. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Um, just to conclude that, then my mine has said it's a bit of a cheat, but my favorite is just all of the flying dogfight scenes. That's the- Ooh, that's a cop out. Well, <laughs> that is a, that is a what's cheat. What's your favorite well, moment? I liked the training exercises, but I also liked if I have to pick one, I would say definitely the engagement at the actual end of the film. But again, it's obvious, but I do like it. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that would be my personal favorite moment. Um, and then favorite line, DK. Uh, well, it's, it's not often that you can say that Michael Ironside delivers an understated performance, but I do like <laughs> his line when he comes to him in the locker room and says, that was some of the best flying I've seen today, right up until the part where you got killed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> awesome. That's a cool. cool fair enough. Now, what about you, Will? Now that you said that, I want to go with that one, but no, it's still, you lift your life between your legs. That's so good. <laughs> Fair enough. Always for the humour. <laughs> and uh, yeah, mine is just as I alluded to earlier. It's from the scene with the uh, Viper and Maverick, and it's just um, uh, it's just after they've had that kind of heart to heart and they've been deployed, uh, and he's giving him his orders and says, "Maverick, uh, you're gonna head out. You'll get your rear later uh, when you get your equipment, and if you don't, give me a call. I'll fly with you." Because it just it it was something in the Tom Skerritt's delivery and the fact that I was like, "Yes, heart. I like it. I'm feeling that." So, yeah, I really appreciated that little scene and that line I thought was a great delivery and a great little uh, moment at that point in the film. Uh, so that's what I would have went with. So nice. um, before we give our conclusions and scores, then we should probably give the audience interaction and then uh, hopefully people won't click off quite as quickly <laughs> if we do it that way around. Um, so I will jump into the audience interaction. Assuming they're here until this point. <laughs> well, hopefully. <laughs> If just to see what Will will do next, but no, we uh, we I, I see I say we it was DK that was responsible for it this week, so he did put out a message on social media that just said, "What are your thoughts on the original '86 Top Gun movie? Does it fly high in your estimation or hit the ground like a sweat-covered volleyball?" Uh, we had a few responses. Um, Andre, son of Mo- now that you've seen the film, you know what that's about. Andre, son of Moog just says, "Never seen it." Owen, thanks for that mental image, sweat-covered volleyball. Uh, Will Templar says, I'd better hurry up and watch it, which he did mm-hmm. not do, as we know. <laughs> and, <laughs> and finally, at Dr. Twelfth says, uh, it was a phenomenon in the States when it was first released. I think that everyone in my school both saw it and owned the soundtrack. I liked it then, and I still like it. It's one big telenovela with planes and 80s music. What's not to like? So, yeah, yeah that's uh, kind of more or less sums that up. So, uh, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll head into the last part of the uh, review then, which was going to be our individual conclusions and score out of five. Uh, who wants to go first? I'll open up the floor to you guys. Should I just go first? Because mine's literally one word. And yeah, yeah, <laughs> go for it then. Solid six out of ten. All three out of five. Okay, okay. same score as last time. Doctor Strange. So just, just solid. <laughs> All right, fair just I do love the effort you put into your conclusion, <laughs> dude. I watched this film t- ten minutes before this. I recording. know. I'm joking. I would, I, if I had to, if I had to notes, I would have been good. But yeah, as in like a conclusion. Oh well, I don't even have solid. paper. I'm, I'm not going to run for the paper. I don't have paper. <laughs> it's funny because it's dark, and I've got something. I'm glad you were able to make it eventually in the end, last minute anyway. Though that's good. And it's yeah, cool it's to really get good. the perspective of somebody who's just seen it and it's like very fresh. Um, yeah. So yeah, and I mean, three out of five. Lot, to be fair. Yeah, absolutely. Three out of five is not bad. Positive on your score than me. A little bit, yeah, but we'll uh, we'll see. Uh, do you want to go next, DK? Or would you rather I went? Uh, I'll go. I'll get it over with. Go on. Then. Uh, it's it's quite a quite a little long one, if that's all right. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, uh, but I hadn't seen this movie since the late 80s, and though loving it at the time, looking at the subject matter today, especially in these times, is, for me, personally uncomfortable. What with the fetishization of the military-industrial complex front and centre. Cruise to me is 
likeable for the first half of the movie and the production Edwards. Obviously, we've disagreed on that, but, you know. While McGillis is only there to provide the lead character as a distraction rather than a fully fleshed-out character, Cruz, in my opinion, only comes to life in the latter half of the movie, giving Edwards both the distinction of outperforming Cruz and simultaneously making the movie better by his absence. I don't mean any disrespect by that, but playing to the arrogance of the Maverick character rather than portray him as a relatable character, the film itself kind of descends into a mishmash of tired types that were cringeworthy then and in some cases pretty much embarrassing now. However, even with those problems and my dislike of the first 40 minutes, the second half suddenly seems to evolve into a different picture. And despite my initial reservations, and in some cases revulsion, sex scene, I became enthralled by the focus on character development that replaced the following of a golden boy with an attitude theme. And those final dogfighting scenes are shot beautifully and have you on the edge of your seat even today. I was worried after 10 minutes that I hated the film. After 30 minutes, I was convinced of it. And at the 90-minute mark, I was loving it. It's very much a product of its time and simultaneously exemplifies both the best of the 80s and the worst excesses of the period. It's a little different from the other action movie fair of the time, though, and for that, at least, it carves its own little niche, and I've given it 3.5 out of 5. Okay. Oh, wow. <laughs> higher than me. Yeah. I was not expecting that. That was yeah, a really good review. Yeah, it's not bad. Um, okay, I'm going to give my conclusion, which is slightly less long than that. But uh, yeah, I, I think I'm probably going to be the one that's more most favorable to the movie because I probably <laughs> liked it the most. But um, I just said um, adrenaline fueled, iconic, immersive, and emotionally affecting at times. <laughs> Great action and extremely entertaining. Is it high art? No, but it's a perfect example of a popcorn movie star led action film that does everything it sets out to do. Brilliant directing elevates things. The soundtrack is well used and pumps you up at all the right moments, as do several of the plot beats. The cliche melodrama is hard to forgive at times, but just go with it, get through it, and go along for the ride. Uh, this film is part of pop culture lexicon for a reason and earns its place in the zeitgeist. Bring on the sequel. Uh, and I gave it four out of five. Cool. So yeah. very interesting range of scores, three, three and a half, and four, uh, which obviously is going to make the average for the podcast quite easy to work out, thankfully. Uh, and so, yes, overall, the Silver Screen Podcast is going to give Top Gun 1986 3.5 out of 5 stars. Well done, DK, for having the right opinion. Oh, thank you. <laughs> hey! <laughs> so, yeah, it's interesting. we got a range of things, but I don't think anybody would say it was terrible. But certainly, I mean, we're all within the same one-point range, you know, so... Uh, that's that's fair and uh, yeah I, I i liked it i got a lot out of watching it a second time and uh i would definitely watch it again i think it's enjoyable and i'm looking forward to watching the sequel on the big screen and that ever really saw kind of jack absolutely awesome. i've heard um, the really good things by the way yeah I've, it's getting the, low the, in reviews the initial reviews are like super like very good film yeah i i'm, I'm amazed at how how high the praise for the sequel is um but yeah if, if nothing else i'm just looking forward to the event of it although currently yeah, my absolutely. my nearest cinema that i'm uh, a member of is closed because the complex it's in is having some technical issues or something so it better hurry up and open because there's a lot of films coming out i want to see <laughs> so, so if you are at city world or the gate newcastle get your fingers out <laughs> so. Yeah, awesome. Well, thanks for joining me, uh, DK, again, and Will, as regularly these days. Mm. Um, that will conclude the first half of this second series of Silver Screen Podcast. Uh, we've had a, a rough sort of a couple of weeks of it, doing a lot of stuff all at once, but this is the end of uh, a massive pile, so it's a bit shorter than usual. I think we're perhaps all a little bit burned out, but hopefully you've got um, enough bang for your buck, and uh, you know, what can you really say about Top Gun, <laughs> I guess, other than the obvious, but yeah. Uh, do if you have a chance to give it a rewatch though definitely especially before the sequel and we shall see what everyone thinks of that it's going to be very interesting so uh, we will be back however uh, we're having a very short break but we will be returning on thursday june the 9th as you're hearing this uh, for the second half of series two uh, and that will be myself and dk uh, will be here to give you again a review of a very relevant film uh, at that point in time and that will be the movie jurassic world just in time for Dominion, the conclusion of the Jurassic Saga. Thank you for watching. Please like, subscribe. I've been Will. That's been DK. That's been Michael. See you next time in three weeks' time. Goodbye. <laughs>
that was that was apparently modern day Max Headroom. So <laughs> I can't follow that. <laughs> we can't really, can we? But yeah, no. uh, you you know you know the drill. We are at podcast underscore screen on Twitter. We are Silver Screen Podcast everywhere else. We are Mike's podcast feed for this and our Star Trek uh, hit or miss podcast all in the same feed everywhere you get audio information. So your, your big boys like your Google podcasts and your Apple, uh, your Stitcher, your whatever else, Spotify and all of the rest of it. Uh, and again, hit or miss Star Trek has its own YouTube channel and Instagram and everything as well. Uh, at Tom Trek on Twitter or just search for it everywhere around. So uh, we are going to go and collapse and uh, take a shower and uh, get a glass of hemlock. <laughs> parade around the locker room, uh, talking about how you know our asses writing checks we can't cash or whatever. And uh, yeah, everyone, thanks again so much, guys, for joining me as we slowly descend the steps oh. of the madness. Uh, we will be back. <laughs> we will join you again later. If uh, it, I, I can only apologise if you do. Come back, thank you. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Join us again. And remember in the epic words of Arnie, unfortunately, or perhaps not, I'll be back. <laughs>